would say kind of a one-of-a-kind passage in a certain perspective from my analysis of the New Testament. And that is, this is by far from my understanding the longest passage that is not actually in the original manuscripts. Some of you know that, some of you that may be a shock to. Um, in the New American Standard, in my edition, it's in brackets, and say later manuscripts add the story of the adulterous woman, numbering it as John 7:53 to 8:11. Um, I think I, I, I'm just going to say a few things to try to deal with this. We can talk about it in a minute if you, you want as well. But you understand our situation that we do not have the what John actually wrote with his own pen. We've never found, they call that the autograph copy. We never found the autograph copy. What we have of John actually includes some fragments from maybe about 30 or 40 years after he wrote, and complete manuscripts from a couple or three centuries after he wrote. Um, so, and, but we have a lot of copies, starting two or three centuries after he wrote, and continuing on for several hundred years, we have lots and lots of copies. And the copies don't all, they aren't all identical. Would you think they would be? If I sent a piece of paper around, I wrote something out, and I gave it to Kelly, who gave it to Emma, who gave it to the man, and so forth, and they each one wrote from the previous one. By the time it got back over here, it'd be nothing like what we started with. Now, they were very careful about copying the Bible, so there's not differences that are that great. But there are occasional differences. And this is one section where there is. The best manuscripts do not contain this. Our best copies, our oldest and most uh, reliable copies, do not contain this. Those that do contain it don't always contain it in the same place or even in the same book. It's in Luke in some of the manuscripts, uh, which is a sign that it's not really authentic. The language, especially in Greek, is quite different anything else John wrote. Much more complex constructions and vocabulary grammatically. So it's clearly not from John's hand. So I have no hesitation in skipping this section as not actually being something that was in the Gospel of John. Many scholars would say this must probably be something that really happened. Maybe it is. But it's not in the best text. I don't believe it's inspired. I have no problem with what it's saying. But if it's not biblical, then I'm not going to deal with it as Bible. Now, I realize that could be troubling. I'll, I'll answer some questions. I don't think there are any comparable passages of this length. We dealt with chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 earlier about the angel troubling the waters. Most of the manuscripts variations are just a matter of a word. It's rare to have something that's this. And, well, this is unique to have something this big that I think is not textual. And, um, and rare to even have a whole verse. That's, that's in question. Fortunately, there's nothing in this passage that's going to change our beliefs one way or the other. I'm just uh, strict in the sense that if it's not in there, then we're, we're not going to treat this Bible. Let me, let me open that up for discussion questions. I realize you're probably in different places, no different things about all that. Look. Why would the scholars think that it really happened if it wasn't in the original? Sounds like it did. <laughs> that's pretty well, much it. That sounds like it would be authentic. Elizabeth. Um, is there something to the fact that it is here though? 
I know we had talked about that before, that, that it's amazing that the Bible has lasted like this, and that God has allowed it to last like this. And so even if it wasn't from John, is, is it possible that God allowed it to be in here for a reason? Possible, but if it's not in our better copies, I mean, there are some things in some editions of Bibles that are just not. <laughs> I mean, there are a few things that happened in like early printings of Bibles where there's some outrageous mistakes that were made and things like that. I don't know that God necessarily was trying to tell us anything with those. I think sometimes people just make mistakes. So I don't know. Andrew? So you're saying the chapter eight beginning. Woman adultery. Um, you saying that is the newer copy? That those are only in more recent copies, but not in the older copies. Yes. This has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, except that I've heard this uh, people bring up. It's about Mark 16, 15, and 16. And I don't know. It, it sounds like if I was on the other side, well, you want to keep some passages that that weren't in some text, but you want to keep others. So how would you talk? Good question. I thought that might come up. Um, Mark 16, verses 9 to 20, is also very disputed. And to be fair, the majority of modern scholars would also say that text is not textual. But the evidence is quite different. The reason people question the end of Mark 16 is because the two oldest manuscripts we have, neither one contains. But virtually every other one does. The, the evidence is overwhelming in terms of the number of manuscripts in favor of the last 12 verses of Mark 16. There are two other strong arguments in favor of the last 12 verses of Mark 16 in my judgment. One is nobody thinks Mark concluded his gospel with verse 8. They were afraid. <laughs> As a result of that, there was an invented ending that's in some manuscripts about the sending out the imperishable gospel from east to west and so forth. Doesn't sound anything like Mark or much like anything in the Bible, which probably is just invented. But it's like, you know, th that's an indication that what happened. Well, here's the explanation that to me perfectly explains the evidence. Some early copy of Mark, they're in scroll form. You ever had the uh, cover of your Bible fall off? Or something like that? Well, if you've got a scroll, what happens if you get a tear near the bottom of the scroll? It's possible for the, the bottom part of the scroll to come detached and to finally be separated from the scroll itself. And I think that's what happened to an early scroll, an early copy that last part was detached. And therefore, you've got a couple of copies that happen to be old copies that don't contain the, the, those last 12 verses of Mark. Some people had some copies like that. They knew it couldn't stop like it did, so they just invented it in. And that's what we have in a few of the, the manuscripts. To me, that's, a, that's the perfect explanation for the evidence that we find. And therefore, since the external evidence in terms of the number of manuscripts is overwhelming in favor of Mark 16, and since there's a very good explanation that accounts for all the evidence, 
I think it's much better to assume those last 12 verses were in Mark. The evidence is much different in John 8 by my analysis of the evidence at least. Right. Do you think if Jesus was put into a situation that he would, such as what's described in chapter 8, that he would respond the same way? Or would he support the stoning of not just an adulteress, but an adulterer to obviously a situation that looks kind of weird with the, the way it's set up? But. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, the reason he's talking with friends about facing kind of intellectual challenges as far as biblical authenticity and stuff, kind of going on is like, how are we supposed to really wrestle with those questions and help people that we know who are dealing with those questions as far as on a larger level, you know, all this like, you know, tearing of scrolls and I mean, just stuff like that. And that's kind of like a little bit startling, I guess. And especially, you know, when we get into upper level education where a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, just fancy. Excellent question. I appreciate a couple of these questions because they give me a chance to address a couple of things I think we probably need to right here. I want to say one thing before I address that question. When we get attacks on God, on the Bible, on Christianity, the skeptics are not bound by honesty or fairness. And what they're going to do is throw a barrage of even self-contradictory arguments against us. Now, I think it's very important in those situations that we use the right procedure in dealing with that. One of the difficulties, if you, many of you are in college, and some of you may have had your faith tested, it may be shaky. I mean, you get in especially social sciences, they are bent against the God, and they will throw out all manner of stuff and you're trying to be an honest, fair-minded person, you want to believe what's true, not just what you've always grown up with, and it can be horrifying and extremely unsettling. One of the procedures that you need to follow is, they didn't do this for you, but you need to stop and organize the arguments. You need to figure out, okay, what's this really saying and what are the points that are being made? Because what they'll do is, they just jump from one to another to another and you start answering this one, they squirm over here and you start answering that one, they go there. And it, you can never get it answered because they're always jumping somewhere else. What you need to do is figure out, okay, what objections sound reasonable? Write them down, organize them, deal with them one at a time, deal with them thoroughly and put them to bed and don't go back there and reopen it unless you've got a reason to. So that'll help you procedurally. Let me come to then answering this question. <clears throat> God had two choices, theoretically. He could either make it to where every copy of the Bible was exactly right. So when a copier starts to have a slip of the pen, God makes sure he gets it right. And when a Bible printer starts to misprint something, he overrules it to where it's always printed correctly so that every copy is always exactly right or he could let natural processes take place which involves copying and the possibility that somebody makes a mistake in copying. Now he obviously chose to do the latter. There are misprintings in Bibles. We've got plenty of those. 
And so clearly he doesn't make it for sure that every time the Bible's copied again, it always is exactly right. Well, does that overthrow our faith? Does that mean we can't know what the Bible says? Well, do you, do you have any faith that any ancient writing, we have a relatively accurate copy of? Because what we have in the Bible is something almost infinitely better in terms of textual authenticity than in any other writing in the ancient world for at least three reasons. One is, typically, with ancient writings, the, most, the oldest copies we have are a thousand years after it was written. With the New Testament, as I said, you've got fragments of John's Gospel within 40 years after it was written. That's incredible. Complete copies within a couple or 300 years after it was written. That's incredible. That's just tremendous in terms of shortening the gap and making it much less likely that there were substantial mistakes made. Furthermore, in connection with most ancient writings, we have, at best, a small handful of copies. In connection with the Bible, we've got hundreds, really thousands of copies. We've got all kinds of copies from all sorts of periods of time. So we just have wonderfully strong and helpful textual evidence. Furthermore, it was so much different when they copied the Bible versus when they copied some other writing because the Christians who copied the Bible believed it was the word of God. So they were much more careful in the copy. So the differences we have in most cases in the manuscripts are so minor. John 8 is a big deal because it's only John 8. We don't have this for other big things in the Bible. Mark 16 is the only other big thing that's even disputed at all. And neither of those are going to affect our faith even if we say they are or they aren't textual. So we have excellent evidence. If you just look at the evidence, can we have confidence from a text critical standpoint that what we have is essentially what was originally written, absolutely. We have every good reason to believe that. Textual critics would say that. Those that study that. There is a science of textual criticism that's applied not just to the Bible, but to other ancient writings. Because other ancient writings also, even if we've only got a dozen manuscripts, they have you know, differences in them. So somebody has to kind of work through that and try to figure out. There are some great principles that are used to try to determine what the most likely original reading was when there's a difference. We've kind of used some of that as we dealt with John 8 and Mark 16. So we have good reason to believe that we have authentic copies. And I'll stop there and let Ben talk. Maybe this would just be a good example of how we can John chapter 7. Sometimes people ask us, how do you know it's the word of God? How do you know it's the same? And we're just like, well, if you're not from Galilee too, are you? You're not an atheist, are you? How do you act like a question? <laughs> Good point. Because we don't love the answer. And yet also
ridiculously minute in their examination of pointless details. I, I, I understand you mentioned sometimes the language that's used, that's very important, but sometimes the language changes. People, some people would argue about second Timothy because some of the language is different from first Timothy, from some of Paul's other writings. And, yeah, if you look at a letter that I write now, a letter I wrote five years ago, I write five years from now, you're going to see some differences. And so some of those questions are just irrelevant. They're just us fighting over these little details. And so we need to acknowledge the questions that are valid questions, but at the same time not let them, just because they always have a question, always have an attack. Sir, uh, that's, that's exactly right. We need to be fair and just in how we deal with questions. There are plenty of smoke screens and plenty of arguments that are really shallow, that are made against the Lord and against the Bible. Some of them are more weighty and we need to patiently answer them. Some of them have some validity, in some cases not at all. I would say the language issue is that. John 8 is really different from everything else John wrote, from nearly anything else in the Bible, but especially from John. Quite remarkably different. But, but that argument is sometimes way misused. And, and, and here's the thing. If, if you're writing about a different subject, you're going to have to have some different words. It's a different subject. You write, you know, you've been writing about, you know, basket weaving and you suddenly start writing about basketball. You know, it's going to be a different, a different set of vocabulary. Obviously so. That accounts for that. You know, and, and, and there's some things that can be said about styles of authors and that are helpful. But there's also some things that are like, well, this has got, you know, this book has 10 words in it that Paul never used anywhere else. Well, yeah, he was talking about some things he hadn't talked about in other places. <laughs> so you have to look at the weight of the evidence and evaluate it with justice and fairness. That's what I would say. I don't know, does that help Ben at all? Yeah. You have any follow-up you want to offer on that? No, I mean, I guess, you know, it doesn't. I, I think just trying to be able to talk about friends who may and each other whenever we have those challenges. It's reasonable to study these things. Not everybody should, but it's reasonable. There are plenty of resources we can actually inform ourselves. Truth does not fear investigation. And so, you know, I think what Ben said at one point was, was very helpful in that, you know, let's not just in every situation say, well, you're not from Galilee too, are you? I agree. You know, somebody asks a question, well, you're not an atheist too, are you? That doesn't answer it if the person's sincere and is being beset by troubling questions. On the other hand, some people just throw up things like that because they really don't want to do what's right. I think we've got to distinguish the motive and the, and the nature of what the person's doing. Some people don't need to be answered. Some people do. Uh, and, and sometimes we're going to have to study. We're going to have to learn some things to be able to give an adequate answer. Logan. What are some of the resources we can use? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, there's a number of books on textual criticism. Um, I mean, I read years ago, but this is dated now probably, Metzger's Text and Transmission of the New Testament. That was a good book in its time, probably still decent. There's probably some better things today. Um, you know, there's 
it's a Greek testament, like the United Bible Society puts out a Greek testament that has the various manuscript readings at the bottom and a textual commentary that goes through the variant readings and explains their reasoning and so forth. And so there's plenty of resources. I mean, you know, depending on what, exactly what we're looking at, you know, we may have to find some of them, but there's a lot of information available. Salt. Um, okay, I understand all that, but what does the text mean? What did he write on the ground? See, I don't know, and I'm not going to cover it since I don't think it's really a job. Tim. Sure. Because I kind of have kind of the same conclusion about how I was lost in the but um, the whole snakes and poison thing is just a little bit uh, isolated. It seems, and now. I mean, Paul got bit by a snake and he was fine. But like, you know, having the history of the Christians doing things like that, I don't believe, is that... Well, I mean, the fact that Paul was bitten by the snake probably deals with that. So really, the only thing we don't have is them drinking deadly poison and not being hurt by it. Uh, the other things, the healing, the, the tongues, the demon you know, expulsions and so forth, are things that are pretty common in the book of Acts. So I guess it doesn't particularly bother me for him to mention one other sign that we don't actually have a historical reference about. Certainly, I think there are other passages like Hebrews 2, 1 Corinthians 14, that would confirm the purpose of these spiritual gifts as being signs to confirm the message. So I think the overall idea of that text is certainly borne out in other texts. Roger. Then, for example, the next time I'll teach John, and I come to John chapter 8, I shouldn't use you say I shouldn't use John chapter 8. You do anything you want to. I'm not going to. Since I don't think it's... Uh, you, don't think it's you don't think it's inspired? No, I don't. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So then we shouldn't teach both. I don't. <laughs> ben. You notice the section that he picks up there in verse 12. He was speaking to them and he had no So if you take out that section, it kind of flows very well. It does. Definitely. Yeah, it goes right off if we'll just take out this section. Uh, and, or, or maybe it would be better if we'd say if we just wouldn't put this section in. You know, it wasn't in the older manuscripts. Somebody put it in later. So if we don't put it in, we keep what the older manuscripts didn't have it, then it flows right on through. I think that's the better way for us to look at that. There are other editions here, there, and yonder. Most of them we don't even read about. But every once in a while there's a manuscript that threw something extra in. And usually it's not even, you know, if it's just one or two manuscripts, you don't even notice it. Um, but, but we'd say, well, if you don't put that in, then it reads fine. Mason. I think the challenge that we need to give ourselves into, and to anyone who raises this passage or Mark 16 as an objection to the scriptures is, okay, go ahead and throw those out. What about the rest of the scriptures that we have really solid textual evidence for? The, in the end, the issue is not are you going to accept this as inspired or not. The real issue is what are you going to do with the rest of the scriptures that we know are accurate? Are you going to believe those or not? And, and sometimes you can see the dishonesty of the question. If their objection is, well, there's differences in the manuscripts, what about all the texts where there's no differences in the manuscripts? You're going to accept those? Well, if they don't accept those, then I say they're not, they're not throwing this out because of differences in manuscripts. You know, 
And there's all kinds of texts, most of them, that there's no differences in the manuscripts. Or, the most, do you know the, the vast majority of differences are spelling differences? The vast majority. Well, we don't even see a spelling difference in our translation. We don't really care how the words were spelled. So there's very, very few texts that there's really any difference that affects anything. So throw out every disputed text and let's stay with what's in all the manuscripts and still know what the Lord's saying. Wouldn't change anything ultimately. Great. Now, I think many times people will argue that you know, since we do have all this evidence that there are some textual differences, therefore it can't be inspired. But I think really we can turn that around and say we have all this evidence that it's inspired, therefore these changes that we do see, obviously God preserved it so we can have what we need. Yes, sometimes we come up with our arbitrary rules. Well, if this is really from God, if this is really what it's supposed to be, then God couldn't do this or he had to do it that way. Well, who am I to say? And again, what that would mean is no printer could misprint the Bible. But they have. And we wouldn't have thought they couldn't. I mean, would you think that, that God would make it to where every printing was letter perfect? I wouldn't think so. It doesn't overthrow my faith to find out that some Bible, you know, omitted, you know, in their printing, they, they omitted something or they switched something up or whatever. That doesn't affect me. I mean, printers sometimes make mistakes. I have a Reddit that says, one version says, thou shalt commit adultery. I think you may be right. Yeah. I've forgotten some of what those are. I mean, there's, some, there's some weird things that cropped up every once in a while in this printing. Don't, don't go out and do likewise. <laughs> James. I, I wonder if we maybe encourage people, if we see they're not really being fair, I have conversations with people sometimes that make me feel like their basis for these questions are something they saw on the History Channel. Back <laughs> 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 the History Channel. <laughs> something, something like that, and, and that's just not how you get uh, the best sort of information. We live in a culture where everyone gets to voice their opinion and everyone's equally valid. So I saw this guy once that said we should listen to it, so I'm not going to read your Bible, you know. And that's just not fair to and maybe something else we ought to say if this is worth anything it's worth some work to understand and to look and find out the facts and the evidence and to find out the truth nobody said this was going to be a piece of cake you know when, when, when you come to some of these questions when when you're in a social science class and they throw out all these ridiculous objections and some of you don't have, know how to answer, it may not be easy. You have to do some real research and some real work and study and learn. And sometimes we're just too lazy and we don't care. If, if, if it's our soul, then we'd better get busy and we'd better study through it and find out what the truth is. And it's like sometimes we're just like, well, so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says that, and well, I don't know, I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> well, find out. I mean, there's lots of ways to learn. There's plenty of resources, but it's going to take some work. Are we willing to work to know the truth and know what the truth is? 
Or are we just going to say, well, some people disagree about this, so I don't know. You know, that's a pretty lazy approach if it's our soul involved. Tip. I appreciate that. And then from personal experiences, it is a very rewarding endeavor uh, finding answers to these questions. And one of my, one of the most enjoyable things is the surprise of found so many things are, uh, they are lies. They aren't backed up at all. Like, I mean, I watched um, Religious, uh, Bill Maher documentary just attacking a lot of religion and things. And one thing he kept going back to was how that, he thought it was, um, Strange that only Matthew had the virgin birth. I was like, wow. Oh. But then I read Luke. I was like, oh, wait, no, he said Luke too. Well, absolutely. You're exactly right. I mean, don't assume because they're a skeptic, they're always honest or always fair or always accurate. There's plenty of totally bogus stuff that's out there. You have to study. I mean, it's the same thing that happens when our faith is attacked by false teachers. They're going to say some things and they're going to twist some passages maybe and on the surface we're not going to know exactly what to say. So what do we do about that? Well, if we care, we're going to study, we're going to research, we're going to learn, we're going to find out. It, it may not be easy, it may take some work. We just got to put a lot more investment into knowing the Lord and His will than what we sometimes are willing to do. And uh, I would agree with Tim. I think it's very rewarding. I mean, a lot of the things as you keep studying Really, your faith keeps being confirmed. And the truth is, the evidence for the scriptures is overwhelming. The evidence for Jesus is overwhelming. The more you really research that and study it and look at it, the more it builds up your faith. Challenges, if we deal with them properly, may bolster and strengthen our faith. I would say, though, I think it's a fair thing to say. Be very wary of, of pretty much all social science stuff if you're not ready to really study seriously. And if you're not willing to pursue some resources and get some help and, and really track down the truth. I mean, they are going to purposely threaten your faith in most colleges and try to undermine it. And it's going to be a, it's, it could kill you if you're not ready to really work. I'm not saying that we ought to just avoid all attacks. But if you're not the kind of person that's willing to really pursue finding out, then don't just take as much poison in as you can to see if it'll hurt you. Nathan? I was just thinking, I had a biology class last year, and uh, I mean, you know, they have all kinds of evolution stuff in it. And it was kind of hard for me sitting there for several weeks. It's just, I mean, it's not that it changed my belief, but it made it harder to believe. It made it for me harder, uh, made it harder for me to find reasons and stuff. And I actually ended up writing a paper uh, arguing for creation versus evolution. Um, and the point I make with all this, I was studying, and I thought, you've got to be kidding. These professors can't figure this out. I mean, I, was, there are all kinds of materials out there, and you know me as young and as uh, inexperienced as I am, it's not that hard. We just have to honestly look at it. Yeah, personally, I don't think we are as threatened in the in the natural sciences classes. Even though evolution is taught a lot, I think it's easier and just more defined to refute evolution. And I think evolution doesn't tend to be pushed as much in natural sciences after you get past the introductory classes. 
once you get into more specific things, it doesn't really work and it doesn't really help. So that's probably going to be more the introductory level stuff. That's that's my opinion. Uh, Ryan, we have here. Uh, well, I majored in biochemistry, and I never took the entry level biology classes, so I took some of the higher level ones, and they didn't really talk about evolution a whole lot, maybe because they just assumed that we all believed already. But um, honestly, use the word design a lot more than the evolution in that class. Yeah, that, that's my impression. You get the natural science. The problem is some of that stuff doesn't work. And when you're really dealing with something more specific, you have to deal with, with what works and what adds up and so forth, and so they're a little more limited. Social science is just so much more subjective. You know, truth doesn't make much difference in those things. So you know, that's more of a problem in any of those, in, in my judgment. I, I, I do think you know, we really have to be careful, and we really have to be prepared for threats on our faith. And we really have to be careful about not bowing down before the altar of intellectualism. These guys may have all kinds of PhDs and other Ds behind their name, and it doesn't matter. You know, if they don't know the Lord and they don't know the truth of the gospel, it's not a big deal. If you've got an inferiority complex, don't go and take those classes. Because you're going to think, well, well, you know, he's so smart and he knows this and he knows that. You know, you've got to realize that men are men. You know, some of your teachers are, are liars. You know, some of them are not honest. They're people. They may know a lot of stuff or they may have gotten through school somehow. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they're honorable people that are teaching you the truth even about their disciplines. And some of them may be deceived. So don't get over-snowed and over-awed and don't let the fact that everybody in class is going to be laughing at you if you say you think that, that Jesus is the Son of God stop you. We've got to have courage and guts. We've got to be willing to stand up for what's true. we just got the deck stacked against us in the world. The world's against the Lord. And we're going to have to have courage enough to stand against the tide. Ben? We were talking yesterday something about the value of teaching the gospel even though people might not listen to it. There are certainly some questions that you do not have any idea what the answer are to. There's some questions you know, where it doesn't do any good to answer, you're feeding that fool's fire. But there is a great value in you know, us at least learning these things and knowing the answers to them. We reinforce our faith, faith every time we declare it. Even if we may not in that exact situation there to stand up and say, you know, loudly, I don't think you disagree with in a classroom. But declaring and knowing what we believe is so important because when we do the opposite, when we stay silent, when we do not answer these things, even if we don't search them, we take that poison in like we were talking earlier. And we just, it erodes our faith slowly, for sure. Amen. I agree, Justin. I think uh, how you're talking about, you know, just because they're teachers, just because they have, you know, PhDs or whatever, you know, I think that, that works in the religious realm too, just because they're your elder, just because they're your preacher, just because they have a title, you know, or just because they are a Catholic leader or you know that doesn't mean that you know they're right and and you got to stand up for i mean if you're in a congregation and your elders and preachers start standing for something that you know is not right you don't follow them yeah very good yeah good application good discussion i thought that might generate some discussion i don't know for me these conversations are very productive i realize they take some time but I think we've got to deal with some of these kinds of things that are where we live. So I appreciate those questions, appreciate the discussion. I think it was helpful. Let's go ahead and do a section or two here. 
Um, Y'all are much less sleepy uh, after uh, we gave a break, but if you get sleepy, by all means, stand up. I don't hesitate to do that. A few of you have done that, and I appreciate that. All right, so uh, 12, let's do 12 to 20. shows us the truth that enlightens our way we have no darkness when we're with him but what was the Pharisees objection to that yeah you're testifying about yourself again you know so it's not true what do you think about that objection That's one point. Even before we come to that point. Ben? You said in the last chapter they weren't very interested in doing this legally. <laughs> yeah, good point. Kristen? Just because you say it about yourself doesn't make it not true. Yes. What does it perhaps make it? True. It actually makes it true that he's saying it. Well, yes, but, but testifying about yourself doesn't make it not true. At worst, it makes it not proven. proven. Yeah, all it makes it not proven. But if you're dealing with the light of the world, I mean, it's kind of like saying, well, if, if we don't have a second witness, then the sun's not really shining. <laughs> the sun establishes its claim by shining. I don't care who sees it. It's, it's true. And, and so they're more or less fastening on a legal technicality and they're ignoring the truth. He is the light of the world. I don't care if he's saying it, uh, or other people are, or whatever. And that's what he says. Even if I testify my, about myself, my testimony is true. It is true. Now, you know, they might argue legally it's unproven, but it is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, and you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So Jesus knows and they don't uh, because they don't, they don't understand these things. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging, but if I did, it'd be true because I am not alone. Now, here's where he said, but I've got another witness. It would be true even if I didn't, but I do. Who's his other witness? The Father. So I've got two witnesses, me and the Father. And what do they say? <clears throat> not exactly. And hey, where's your father? <laughs> Bring him up. You know, let's question him. He says, oh, you don't know me, nor my father. 
if you knew me, you'd know my father also. That's kind of a stinging remark, you know. Oh yeah, I forgot, you don't, you don't, you don't know him. <laughs> yeah. They didn't either. But they didn't arrest him because it wasn't on the father's timetable yet. Comments or questions through 20? JP. I feel as though the argument is in some ways self-defeating just because he can't claim himself to be the light. When he claims him to be the light, they immediately say that they're wrong because they don't know the law or they don't understand the law clearly. I feel as though they're just looking for themselves to testify against him. Okay. Yeah. Certainly, they're just trying to down him. I'm not sure if I got all of that, but. Okay. Don't understand what he's saying about where he came from or where he was going. Did they understand? No, I don't understand. What, what's the point he's trying to make right there? Well, I think he's saying you don't know anything about me. You think you know it all. You don't know where I came from. He'll make that point often. You don't really know where I'm going. You don't really know my father. You don't know me. You think you know everything, but you don't really know anything. Tim? In 15 and 16, um, what is he talking about judging? They judge according to the flesh, that makes sense, but what, what is he judging? Well, I think he's saying he's really not. I mean, that's not his purpose. Uh, but if he were to judge, or whatever judging and evaluating things that there are, they're true, because he's got another witness. But that, they're more critically judging than he is. That's not really his purpose. But whatever he would say or do would be true. John? I don't know if this is what he's saying, but it's kind of funny that he says, you don't know where I came from, and um, they did it in a physical sense either, you know, back in chapter 7. You're right. They really didn't know where he came from. <laughs> Alright, I think I'm going to give you another break. Um, you're doing pretty well, but probably ought to do that. I do, do think sometimes for both teacher and student it uh, helps us just refocus.